0: Welcome to another episode of Stardust MQ. I'm Cameron Furlong. My guest today is Katrina Mikovic.
1: My name is Katrina Mikovic. I'm an associate professor at Curtin University.
0: Katrina is a planetary scientist at Curtin University, where she studies impact craters and what we can learn from them in our own solar system and in exoplanets. I had a chat to Katrina about her work as well as her upcoming AIP Women in Physics lecture tour. So what was uh, the thing that got you into astronomy in the first place?
1: I think it was this um awe of the night sky above us and um I think I was always curious very curious about the world around us but not just um like within within my city you know I mean it was always like curious looking up what's that big bright ball that is shining at us during the day and I can't look up because it hurts my eyes and then like you know then then the moon comes and like what is that thing that night it comes sometimes comes and goes you know obviously I was very little when I was asking these questions but uh my mom reminded me not so long ago that I was asking her to explain to me all of these phenomena in the sky um and then you know fast forward probably a decade or so later I was thinking about what what should I study and um it kind of uh, almost grew on me organically, I was as I was being naturally curious about astronomy, about the stars, about the starry night, and about you know distant galaxies and and all the sci-fi that that was wrapped around it. So and I also did a kind of out-of-school activity at the observatory. So I got a, a bit of a bug for for the night sky. So I think just that endless curiosity about us being a very very pale blue dot and the horizon in a, in a sea of uh, planets and galaxies and stars that got me hooked up to this, to this domain. So, um, but on the other thing, I, I really wanted to um, do research because I wanted, I, I was just curious that way and I wanted to be, I wanted to become a scientist and I wanted to become a teacher. So um, I always saw myself as being an educator in a way, but not necessarily working at a school um I wanted I wanted a bit of a bit of everything so it felt like uh, just i decided to follow my passions and uh, even though at the time back in Serbia I was like what am, what are you gonna do with an astrophysics degree my mom was very worried but um I decided look this is what I love to do and I'll figure it out down the line so they never stop me and, and I'm very grateful for them for not stopping me going down the kind of like basic sciences so if I felt like by by picking astrophysics i'll be able to pursue my curiosity of the night sky and i'll be able to do research and i'll be able to do a bit of teaching and and then you know here i am fast forward some decades later
0: (laughs) doing your thing still right
1: doing doing it still yeah still going strong yes.
0: So your focus is in planetary science. So, what drew you to that aspect of of, of astronomy as a whole?
1: That's a very interesting question, and thanks for asking it. Um, planetary science is is a very interesting crossover between uh, astrophysics, astronomy um geology, geophysics, and, and and earth science, because Earth is a planet. So it does count towards planetary sciences. But we we would study Earth as a planet, as like as if we don't live on it in a way. Um, so it's um what got me really attracted to planetary sciences is this revelation we had one day. And I was I was talking to my partner at the time and then and he was like planetary sciences are so cool. You can go there and back in a lifetime. Because at the time he was doing cosmology and he said, like, I would never be able to go and see or like prove all my theories about the earliest universe because it's always going to be a theory. But like with your like space missions and exploration, you can actually send the probe to Mars and back and, you know, even go there and back in your lifetime. It, that actually made space, studying space and studying our universe uh, tangible. That's what I mean. Like you, you, can actually go and pick up a sample from an asteroid and bring it back. You can go send probes to to Moon and Mars. Heck, you can send humans to Earth and Mars, to Moon and Mars, and then still like get information back. And and um, so it wouldn't be just theoretical research. It, it actually is a pure exploration. Uh, and over the time, it grew more into a, a, a particular passion to kind of stay and persist in planetary science. And uh, and I often compare it to maritime explorers you know back in the day some 500 years ago when they were setting sails, not knowing if they're going to be falling off the edge of the earth um it feels like that you send the probe into space you have no idea what kind of information you're going to get back but once it's there you know it's there and you're going to start either collecting remote sensing data or you're going to start collecting samples and I think that is one thing that you're still exploring space but you're in your cosmic backyard that it makes it tangible and that i think is the biggest bug i have about planetary science
0: and just on sending probes into into mars uh, you were recently involved with the insight detector with a seismic detector detector on mars how did you get involved with that project
1: i got on um i became a part of the insight science team um about eight years ago now, when Insight was still under development or actually was selected mission, it was planned to launch, but it was still being engineered. Um, back at that time, I was doing uh, my uh, postdoctoral research um, at earth science institute in um, in Paris, so in France. so um and that's where they actually designed and developed and built the seismometer for insight. So I was doing my uh, my my research into something else, but then I got, started talking with the people in charge um, for, for for the seismometer. And then we got talking. And obviously, they said, well, we could use your expertise, uh, uh, your impact expertise if we get meteorite strikes and mass and stuff like that. So like, how about you become part of the mission? So for me, it was uh, being in the right place the right time, uh, working with the right people, that I got invited to become part of the mission because I had something to offer in terms of my expertise. Um, so that's one way of, of getting on board of space missions is really uh, being connected with the right people at the right time. Um, but there's also other ways of getting getting onto the missions um, is actually by applying by applying for it, which is a little harder from Australia, but it's still doable. So for me, my, my journey with Insight started quite early. It was five years before Insight was launched. Um, so for about four years or so, we didn't do much science, we were just waiting for it to get, you know, properly developed and launched, it even got delayed by a couple of years to launch itself. So eventually it got launched in 2018. And um, since then, we've been gathering data. So I've been quite engaged with Insight uh, for the past three years.
0: And what's been the most challenging part of this project?
1: As an impact person, that's how I kind of call myself, because as a person who explores um, impact cratering process, which is when rocks from space hit planetary bodies and make craters, uh, we can use that uh, geological phenomenon to study structure and evolution of planetary bodies. And and then basically you use an impact as a way, as a tool to probe into subsurface. So, and that's one thing I was hoping to do with InSight because um, we do get meteorite strikes Frequently, you know, we get fireballs on the Earth every night. Um, they're not big and they will never create an impact on Earth because we've got a big atmosphere to protect us. Um, on Mars, um, those happen a bit more frequently because Mars doesn't have a thick atmosphere. It does have an atmosphere, but it's hundred times less dense. So occasionally there there are more frequently impacts on the ground or airbursts, a um, bit stronger fireballs that we were hoping to detect with Insight, Because if you create um Kind of an energetic impact and some sensible distance away from the seismometer hopefully that would create um, a mass quake um, but and so my role with the insight mission is to try and understand those quakes that are coming from impact strikes or so meteorite strikes the biggest challenge actually in the past three years is not having impacts so we were working we were theorizing a lot but we were lacking data um, and and then this is not something you can just go and measure because you're up, up against luck and statistics. You know you don't know when a rock from space is going to hit the planet. Um, we do have we did have expectations of about ten a year, and in the first three years we only got one, and the one that was very small, barely detectable. So the biggest challenge um, today was actually not getting. Mars to do what you want it to do for <laughs> space, <laughs> so you can get data to do your science, but it was endlessly fun to like do predictions, and it's just waiting on the moment to uh, be able to perform that.
0: Space is not something that you can bend to your own whim to, for a couple of experiments, right?
1: I guess not. So when we're waiting on Mars to or actually space to grace us with with an impact.
0: Just waiting for something to hit the surface, just waiting. imagine that was very frustrating
1: it is it is yes you know when impact happens then we get a lot of work but uh, you know while you wait we just do other things and and you know prepare
0: and so what what can you learn from studying the impacts on mars
1: the impacts in general are quite a nice um i call them a tool even though they're actually a geological event geological process like like any other like you have wind and oceans and Um, Tectonics and volcanism, those are all geological processes that are dynamic in a way so that they change the surface and evolution of a planet. Um, Or even interiors when we talk about volcanism and tectonism. So impacts are in a way very similar depending on their size. So big impacts, they actually um, happen early on in the solar system evolution. So when I say big impacts, I really mean gigantic rocks from space. So some that would create catastrophic events on the surface of a planet. So they happened uh, very early on in the solar system evolution. Um, and they've actually really shaped surfaces of terrestrial bodies. So when we look at the moon, we all, all we see is big circles, big dark circles. These are all big impacts, big impact scars. And they've actually shaped the moon the way it is. We've uh, certainly Earth has been bashed as well with impacts, but we don't only see two hundred impacts to date on the Earth, and that's only because the Earth is a dynamic planet that basically resurfaces its crust, so it recycles the crust, so we don't really see um, evidence of impacts as much as we see them on the Moon. So the same is happening on Mars as well. So all all bodies have actually suffered impacts because it's it's just the di- like dynamics of the solar system. So big impacts happen very early on and then as as the solar system itself and the planetary um, orbits got more stabilized, then we get less and less of the big impacts and we're still persisting with like smaller and smaller. So on, on Earth, so uh, we, we all know about dinosaur extinction that happened 65, 66 million years ago on Earth that actually caused the entire uh, biological evolution to change uh, on our planet. So. Impacts as such are quite, are disruptors. They they change the way the crust looks. They change the way the planet evolves. They can um, uh, cause biological extinctions if there is obviously life. I'm not talking that happened on Mars. I'm just talking about the Earth. Um, So in a way, um, by tracking the way or looking at how impacts Look like how the impact record looks like we can actually learn about the history of of planetary evolution so <clears throat> we know that earth is quite dynamic because it's got tectonic plates but it also lacks craters so even if we said we've discovered a brand new planet it looks exactly like earth and it doesn't have any craters then we'll know that obviously there is something that is causing surface resur- like resurfacing process um, that have, have raised all the impacts because they're expected to be there. So in a way, it helps us um, determine ages of surfaces. So how long has they been staying the way they are and just kept there collecting impacts? Then depending on how impacts themselves look like, how craters look like, we can then tell a little bit about the thermal evolution of the planet when impact happened. How thick was the crust? Uh, whether there was any structural changes in the planet during cratering and so forth. So in a way, I use it as a tool so that I can probe the surface evolution of, um, of planets and moons
0: and um, And can that be applied to the study of um, exoplanets outside the solar system? And is that difficult to do?
1: Uh, it can certainly be applied. I think it would probably, at this point in time, it would stay in a remit of theory because we don't obviously have that much information about exoplanets. So we're be, we be—we not able to discern properties of exoplanets other than their size and possibly some something a little bit about their atmospheres, right? But certainly there is no exemption as to how solar system had formed. So if the solar system is filled with asteroids and comets and like broken rocks and stuff, so space between planets is never empty. And there is no reason not to think that other planetary systems didn't form in the same fashion. So impacts are expected every. Day. So yes, in that case, exoplanets would still also be bashed by impacts as well that could change the way they, um, they evolve.
0: Okay, that's, that's really interesting. Um, and so does that also have to do with your work um, doing impact simulations to, to determine, you know, the patterns that will be associated with impact uh, craters and, and their effect on the crust of planets?
1: Uh, yes, that's 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 definitely one of my key strengths. So I use um, a shock physics hydrodynamic code. It's not really a hydrodynamic code, actually. It's more like a shock physics code that deals with properties of rocks and deals with properties of different kinds of rocks. So the way they break and the way they behave when they're exposed to temperature change, depending on their uh, chemistry. So we can actually tell. We can. I could simulate specifically how those craters that we see on the moon, for example, or on Mars, how they actually formed. What were, the, what were the impact conditions that are connected to what we are seeing as the um final, final crater? So it's basically um a sophisticated code. It's a shock physics hydro hydrodynamic code that actually simulates and calculates how a rock behaves under an extreme pressure. So how its temperature changes, how pressure changes, how, whether does it melt, does it vaporize? And how does it break? Uh, because we can also simulate the way what fractures as well. So in a way, that's all important because what happens under the impact is this very sudden, very violent deposition of really high energy. So, you know, think atomic bombs, right? And then, so the smallest impacts um, that happen on other planets are, are nothing, are, are much bigger than than atomic bombs that we've seen during Second World War. So these are really violent ev- events, and they create really big craters. So using a shock physics hydrocode, we can really behave, we can really connect the behavior of rock and how it breaks and makes a crater. So you know, when the one thing that connects this with astrophysics, for example, uh, we talk about shock physics in supernovae, and we know that when the massive stars explodes and ex- expands into a supernova, there is a shock front in the supernova that actually sweeps through space and creates elements that's heavier than iron. So, in a way that it's a similar style of physics that we have to um, calculate that's happening in a rock, like um, just after impact, once the shock wave is passed through the rock. So it's a little bit of a different chemistry happening uh, but it's it's nonetheless sophisticated physics is calculated. So one of the tools I'm using is, is a code that calculates exactly how the crater forms given a certain impact condition. So we can either connect we see a crater and we can calculate you know what are the impact conditions that made the crater but we can also look at the crater and say well we know the impact conditions roughly and now here is the crater and then, so why does it look odd? Why does it look different to, you know, what the simulation might suggest? And that's where um, this kind of structure and evolution of interior comes into play. So we can say, well, maybe maybe we had a different thermal gradient in subsurface. Maybe a planet was hotter in the past or the crater looks a little bit different. And I can actually pack all that in the hydrogen on code and then try to kind of match observations with modeling to answer these big questions.
0: And just see what it spits out. Really, yes yeah um, so you're going on an AIP lecture tour soon. So what are you looking forward to the most for that uh, series?
1: I'm very excited about the upcoming lecture tour. I'm equally frightened though, uh, but um, I'm very excited and very much looking forward to. Uh, part of my part of my job and part of my passion for science isn't just um, me doing me sitting in my little corner doing my little research and and not sharing it with anybody. Um, I think that's where the educator in me starts to be very prominent. Is that I'm equally passionate about talking about uh, planetary sciences, talking about the role of STEM in, in um, planetary sciences, space exploration, astrophysics. It's like all the cool things that we think about space, sci-fi, whatever you want to call it. It all comes out of STEM disciplines. So my my main motivation in in going on a lecture tour is to bring those two things closer together a lot of a lot of people whether young or old they're all um you know impressed by by the sky balance and like, but what am I going to do with it so my my main motivation in going on a lecture tour is really to bring it closer in a sense that it's tangible so that there's core STEM disciplines that go in um young young person's development or school or education so that they actually feed the passion for for space if they are passionate about it but they don't have to end up working in space obviously they can but it's more like that kind of uh, feeding the feeding the motivation feeding the inspiration with the right tools so that you can uh, go on and pick the right career in your in your in your life so i kind of go off a little bit on a tangent here but the thing is i'm quite motivated to go on a tour Simply because I have this deep passion of um, promoting STEM disciplines and 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 uh, encouraging specifically young minds not to be afraid of maths and physics, is that if this is something that they, they think they're good at, they should definitely pursue it. And then if they end up working in space, it's great. So I'm kind of an ex- an example of a person who wasn't afraid to follow her passions and dreams early in my career. And I went kind of boldly into something that I wasn't sure that would give me a career down the line. And and then it kind of panned out out for me just the way I thought. hoped. Uh, But it's more like um, bringing a lot of inspiration, bringing bringing a lot of motivation uh, under the banner of space exploration, but ultimately just emphasising the importance of STEM disciplines um in um that we all need to have whatever we choose to do as a career. I think that kind of hides it behind a little bit.
0: And what does it mean to you to be selected as the Women in Physics Lectureship winner?
1: It's a great honor, I have to say, uh to be selected this year. Um I I feel like I've been you know given given a um like kind of like this year this is this is my flag to wave with and and I would like to do it justice. Um, I have been given, given this opportunity to go to talk to different schools and to public in, in all states and territories, and it's it's a it's a responsibility that I really want to do justice. So it means a lot that that this year has been given to me, and I really want to make sure that uh, my passions for space and planetary science and astrophysics really sink to the floor as well.
0: Stardust MQ is a podcast made with the support of the Macquarie University Department of Physics and Astronomy and the Macquarie University Physics and Astronomy Society. Thanks to Oliver Doherty for editing this episode. Our intro music is by Poddington Bear and our outro theme is from Ketsa. I'll talk to you next time.